You are listening to the Business Wilderness, the voice of entrepreneurs. Welcome to the Business Wilderness. My name is Ahmed Abouli and today I have a very special guest, Naimi Yassini. Welcome to the show. G'day mate, thanks for having me on. My pleasure buddy, my pleasure. Um, Naimi, take me back in time. Uh, where did it all begin for you? Um, I, I haven't got a very um, fantastic story. Just finished uni and then um, I kind of wandered, jumped between jobs trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But I really don't think university set me up for uh, what my career was going to be. And jumped around job to job. And then um, I got myself uh, into a role as a database administrator with um, uh, an airline. And I got fired. And that was devastating. And I sat on my mum's couch and nobody wanted me, so I couldn't get a job. And then I started circling, um, I used to have these magazines that were industry magazines for the digital category, and I started looking at organisations that were like making a lot of noise, and I was doing stuff, and I was being covered, and I started cold calling, and saying, you know, I can do this, I want to come work for you guys. And I got, I found one job, and then at that company, I mean, they paid me like nothing, like 28 grand, it was like nothing. And then at that company, I just made a commitment that I am, I'm going to, really commit and learn something. And so I put my head down and I, I worked, man. I stood, like I worked. I'd get in at 7.30, I'd work till like 3 a.m. And I'd like, I worked my ass off. And then they, they saw my work ethic and I, you know, I started bumping up and um, I then, um, I met with the CEO and said, you know, if you're a good CEO, here's my life plan. You should, you should make me a general manager because I was young and arrogant. I had no, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I wrote like a business plan for my life. And I gave it to him. I said, "If you're a good CEO, you can do this." That's pretty cool. And he said, "You can convince this guy to make you general manager, then fine." So I went to this guy who was running an SEO business, and I convinced him that he should make me general manager, and he should step aside. It's more the technical stuff. So he did. And I was like focused on sales, he was focused on the product. And wow. I, I basically took his product. This is like SEO days when like there was no Google. It was like Alta Vista and Ask Jeeves. And, and if you said Google, people would go, what's a Google? And you'd have to say, you know Ask Jeeves? And they go, yep, it's like that, but better. It was like selling search engine optimization. And, you know, we killed it. We were like top three in the business. We went from nothing to number three in the market. We, had, we picked up like... Telstra and Flight Center and all that kind of stuff. And I decided that, you know, I got to the point that I could and I decided I wanted to go into web dev business. So uh, I wanted to go into web development because I really didn't like media. And uh, a buddy of mine was running a business and he said, look, come and join me and I'll make you CEO. And again, I fell in love with the title. I had no fucking idea what I'm doing. So I went there and he taught me business. He taught me how to run a business. And I thought I was really good in sales and I learned very quickly I sucked. And I had to relearn everything. Like I remember the day I lost all this business, three pitches, I lost all of them in there. And I said to him, I'll do whatever you say. I'll just do whatever you say. I just I want to succeed. 
And so he said, fine. And he put a program of work where every month he would take me out to dinner and write a list of everything I sucked at that month and everything I did well. And you can imagine the things I sucked at were huge and the things I did flawlessly. Anyway, through that journey, I really learned how to run a business and management. And then um, we sold the business. Um, I left, did some consulting, did a dot-com, thinking I know everything about the internet, lost a bunch of money, had some other investors, lost their money, went dot-bomb, we were too early to market. And um, after that, I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Went to London, and that's where everything started to take off for me. Um, started running head of, became head of digital for J. Walter Thompson, JWT, um, in Europe. I had a remit to change him into a more digital focused agency, which I did. Um, and, um, and yeah, and, and, you know, everything just started taking off, came back, didn't want to set up a business, wanted to find a job, couldn't find anything I liked. So I ended up doing, consulting with a mate of mine and we just won all this business and then I had to deliver that work so I had to hire some people as contractors. Anyway, an accountant said you treat them like a full-time staff, you need to incorporate. The next thing I know, I had a business. Yeah. So it's basically an accident that went horribly right. That's my life story in two minutes. I love it. Reminds and, me of mine a bit, but I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Basically, I learned by making every stupid mistake. Yeah, because... You didn't have that person to guide you, right, early no. on? Mm. Uh, I love my dad. My dad's an amazing guy, but he, he's a scientist. And when it comes to everyday practicalities of making good decisions or living a an organized life, my dad is not that guy. He's, he's a lovely man, and uh, he does the best he can. But he's just not that guy to kind of go, hey, maybe you should think about this before you go off and jump. So I learned how to jump before I thought, and over time I realized this is exhausting. I think I might think before I jump, so I've started doing that more. Nice, nice. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. All right, so the current space, right? Um, The digital space now is, you know, it's basically, I wouldn't say too convoluted it is, but it's also packed with so, so many people claiming that they're, consultants, agencies, so on, so on, so on. And, um, you know, great organizations like yourself have have to also feed through all this stuff. How do you guys see, see the space evolving and basically moving forward? So, I mean, look, I can't – I've been in the digital game for a long time and I know the space really well. But I, I would say over the – you know, the journey around New Republic – we, we started as a full service agency and about, we've been around for now for nine years and about six years ago, three years into our journey. So when I first started, I was basically on, I come from a UX background. So I started building, uh, we started, you know, doing UX work. And then all of a sudden I landed a really big client and I made a really stupid mistake. I said yes to everything. Mm. They come over and they say, can you do TV? I say, yep. Uh, can you do... Can you do uh, ADMs at the Lear? Printouts? Yeah, no problem. And, right? then, and then you work it out. <laughs> I fucking work it out, right? <laughs> Welcome to the agency, man. Anyway, I ended up having a business with so many staff. Like, I had 22 staff. I had this one massive account. I had little accounts as well. And I literally became a slave to my business. I hated what I was doing because I wasn't an ad guy. I just fell in love with the concept of being a big agency boss. 
and I had a the client three years later left. You know, we parted ways, and we hadn't picked up any other bigger accounts. We just grew that account. We had other smaller accounts, but we grew that account. And so at that point, you ever heard of a concept of parepity? No, tell me. Parepity is. Have you ever watched The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis? No, I don't watch many movies. Mate, you got it. Your life expands when you watch movies. <laughs> so there's, there's a film called The Sixth Sense, right? And he's telling this kid that there's no yeah. such things as ghosts. And up to a certain point to the film, you're like believing everything that's going on. This kid's seeing ghosts. There's no ghosts. Anyway, he turns out the twist of the film is he's a ghost. And he's telling the kid there is no ghost. So parepity in this, its basic definition is um, a moment in time where everything you've held true is up for question. Because you just got this piece of information that makes you go, wait a minute. If I'm a ghost and I'm saying there's no ghosts, shit, then there are ghosts. And then what else is it that I have, I've started believing that there isn't there but now is, right? So I had this moment of parepity, which was I really don't like the business that I've created. I'm not – I don't want to be – like I fell in love with the idea of being an ad boss, but then I realized it's not what I'm passionate about. So about six years ago, we basically cut anything to do with creative services and we niched and went back to our heartland, which was user experience design and this practice around conversion rate optimization. And we really just focused on those two. And so to answer your question around where's digital going, I'll be honest with you, digital is getting more and more confusing. It's getting more and more complex. We as an industry are filled with really smart people that decide to come into a category to compete with each other, which makes us the dumbest people within the whole country. Like, honestly, if we took what we know and go into a deadbeat industry, like, let's say, the garbage industry or yeah. some other industry, I don't know if it's a deadbeat industry, but, like, some, some deadbeat industry, yeah. do you know how much money you and I could make? But we don't. What do we do? We go into the industry and compete against each other. We're both really smart guys, and what do we do like idiots we compete against each other? So I, I know the, the category is very complex. I guess my comfort zone, come bringing it back, is... I understand the category around user experience, and I understand the category around web development, and I can tell you one thing, the biggest trend that I see happening is that the way that we mobilize data and the way we build uh, digital assets is about to go through a complete revolution. UX as an industry is fundamentally flawed, and I predict in the next five years, it will change as a category, and the way we work in UX will be Flawed. Yeah, yeah, it's flawed. UX is subjective, just like creativity, just like design. You know tell when me, you do a wireframe and you present it? Yeah, yeah, tell me more, but why? What, why do you believe it's flawed? I mean, you said you're in the digital industry, right? Yeah. And look at your website. You do website development, right? Yeah. So when you define a website and you put it in front of the client and say, this is the navigation, this is the uh, hero banner, we've got some content blocks here. At the end of the day, you've probably done some research, you've talked to some customers, you've talked to the business, and they've, and then out of that, you've designed something, right? Yeah. Objective. Yes, you've taken data, but you've interpreted that data and you put it onto a page, and then you design that, and then you roll out that design across all the templates they need, stick in the content management system, spit out a bunch of pages, build a website, uh, and then off you go, right? And then you figure out, once you turn it live, whether it works or it doesn't given that you've done your Google Analytics and you haven't forgotten about that, right? And so what I say to you is 
that is a fundamentally flawed structure because you only realize, and like every web development I've ever done goes like this. You start with research, you conceptualize, you test your concepts, you get the client to buy in, then you go into visual design, you might test it again, and then you go into build, and then you do all your content upload, then you do your QA, you do your IT. But somewhere when you go to build and the developers see the wireframes, they have a shit and they go, that's going to take four times as long and it's going to cost you five times the amount. And then the client has a shit and says, right, I need it by tomorrow. What can I do? And then you know how they define what they're going to do? They decide what they will and won't do based on how much does it cost and how long will it take to get live. Two variables that has nothing to do with customer experience or revenue or profit. Two fundamental factors that have nothing to do with the future of that experience digitally, right? The two decisions. I would, I'll give anyone a million bucks who can tell me they've gone to a project where those two variables don't come up at one point in the journey. And then everyone talks about phase two. You know the phase two bucket? That fucking bucket that never turns up? It's just called phase two? Such a bullshit statement. I will do it phase two. Fuck off. So this bucket turns up called phase two, right? Yeah. So I think that for me is a fundamentally flawed structure. When you have structures like conversion rate optimization, you are able to design a page or an element or a function. You are able to take that to, and test it, statistically test it, so you take subjectivity out of it. You design it, you launch it, you test it, you get the stats to tell you which way to go, and you implement. And you do that over and over and over and over again until you get a website, which gives you the ability to increase the revenues as you test, Allow your user to come into the experience of testing to identify what works, have statistical validity, and fundamentally, you're delivering as well as you go. Nice. Totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As, a, as a design principle, is flawed because UX is about the subjectivity of interp interpretation of data into a UI layer. The problem with that is no UX designer, and generally they're young, is a cross-section of the customer, has an understanding of business in its entirety, and understands development, right? Hence why it's flawed. The best thing that UX can do is use CRO as a method of validating design by designing, sending it live, testing it, taking that data, and then designing again, that iterative design process. I spent my entire life for the last six years now in Australia talking to organizations around the culture of experimentation, around how to organize your business to use fast data as a structure to implement quick, constant iterative change, continuous improvement rather than delayed perfection. Interesting. I like it. Different, but makes, makes a lot of sense. So basically, what you're saying is, don't focus on perfection from day one. Build, test, 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 and work towards perfection al along the journey. There's no perfection. Like, let me, let me ask you. As in end goal, basically. Correct. But do yeah. you remember what Facebook looked like when it first launched? Yeah. Do you remember what Google looked like when it first All launched? All of them. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Do you remember at any point that they completely overhauled their site? No. But it totally looked different. You just noticed that the friend, the friend section was now here on the right. Then it went from being green buttons to being like live, right? Yeah. All those 
experiments. What they do is they build a framework, right? Let's call that MVP, most valued product, not viable. Yeah. Most basic valuable product up. And then what they do is they go, okay, let's now go through and tweak each of these features to identify how do we tweak them to deliver a better customer experience. That is a much better way to go about designing and delivering experience than I know a very large liquor brand that spent a million dollars redoing their website, a liquor distributor, and they launched it. They lost 20% of their sales in the first six weeks to the point that they went back to their old site. Within eight weeks, they were back. They relaunched their old site, bought down their new site. They spent a million dollars. They do a complete overhaul? Complete overhaul. That's probably and why. The yeah. complete overhaul is you don't know what in that design is causing that loss rate. Whereas when you do one page and you see you have a loss rate, you can very quickly isolate what's causing it. So you can very quickly hone in on the reason why it's not working rather than going, what the fuck do I do? Roll back to my old site. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I tell you. Do you believe that there's an overemphasis on the on the on the actual the aesthetics of us of, of the site. Um, no, I, I think I, I think the aesthetics of the website are just as important as all the other factors that come out of it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what you see is what you interact with, right? What a user sees is what they interact with. And there's um there's a lot of studies that actually shows um, customers have more trust in sites that look good than sites that don't. But it all comes down to your brand proposition. Yeah. Yeah, we work we work with Chemist Warehouse. Yeah. And uh, it's such a funny site. The better we make the site look, the worse it performs. Wow. The more polished it looks, the worse it performs. You know why? Why? Oh, because of the. Yeah, go on. You bargain because you're not spending time on building websites. You're spending time cutting costs for me as the customer. So the shittier this site looks, the better it performs. So it's not like I go out of my way to make it shittier. I go out of my way to not mess with what is the design structure that has been learned to be value for the customer, but how do I expand on those experiences to make them do the actions they need to do? So brand plays a really big part in your design, and design plays a really big part in trust or the expectation of what I wanted you to deliver. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Awesome. Tell me a bit about a, a, a bit more about your organisation. You, you so, mentioned, like I said, we went through a bit of a life change um, yeah. about six years ago. We are a niche business. We really focus just on user experience design and exposure and optimization. Uh, we used to do brand in the old days, but I'd end up having to all do all the brand work. I learned brand when I was in London. So I just didn't want to do that anymore. So I was like, okay, we're just going to do these two things so I don't have to always sell it and deliver it. Um, so yeah, we do those two niche products. We work with um, a bunch of really big brands and small brands. Uh, so we work with HSBC, redesigning internet banking at the moment. Uh, work with BMW, Volkswagen. Um, there's some global brands. And then uh, uh, local brands like um, Qantas, um, Chemist Warehouse, Fantastic Furniture, General Pants. Um, basically all of them. our life is all about helping them optimize the purchase journey on their site retail very yeah. interesting industry right now 
Retail is a is a very industry, a very interesting industry, especially when you start talking about um, cross channel and cross channel attribution. So really, it's a it's a very um it's a complex, and also um, I think the biggest trouble retail has is similar to what education has is that retail had some fundamental rules that are so dramatically changing that the old guard does not know how to live in this new world. And the guys that are new in the category do not know how to talk to the old guard. Similar to education, you had, you know, academics running businesses called education institutions and they were trying to make it as a home for knowledge, which is great, but education is a business. And so you have these old guard and new guard fights. Retail is going through the same. And it's really interesting the, the kind of dynamic conversations that you still have with retailers who believe that digital will cannibalize my my traditional, my stores. It's so it's so ridiculous to hear it, but you, they just don't know any better, and they want to protect those two channels, and they see them as independent channels. And it, it's 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 a really fascinating time to be around watching these dichotomies and, and how it's going to evolve. It's, it's I think it's a wonderful category. Is there is there much fascination about the the one click checkout? One click checkout. The um, Amazon, the uh, Amazon yeah, rule. Yeah, for a while, my friend, everyone's been talking about one check, one click checkout for ages. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you know what? I think I think the um the area that I I get a lot of communication of what we we do a lot of work around is how you actually make the purchase journey seamless. Because you know with the advent of payment choices like your zip pay, your afterpays. Um, with the advent of, you know, um, location-based services, um, click and collect and delivery models and pricing, there's so much complexity built in just the process of buying. Um, so we're, we're really, I, I hear a lot of clients, we talk to a lot of clients, we do a lot of work around how do we make that frictionless. I don't think the clients that we work with, like Amazon is so far ahead in these conversations that, they are. They have the privilege to think about one click, whereas we are. We're dealing with brands that are still grappling with how do I do click and collect, and what's my threshold on average order to get free shipping? You know, like Jeez. all the other areas that are. Although they sound, you know, for some dealt with, for others they're still grappling with it. Every time I go to these um, retail conferences or inside retail academy or, or whatever it is. That's all I hear is Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Their shipping, their last mile, their checkout, their site, yada, yada, yada. I always feel like Amazon's become the new Nike. In the day, everything used to be Nike this and Nike that. Now it's like, and then it was Apple this and Apple that. And now it's Amazon this and Amazon that. There's only one guy who did not give a stuff about no one. That's Jack Garns from, from yep. uh, Chemist Warehouse. Yeah. He did. Hey guys, we 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 know what to do. We're doing it, and we're and we're doing it right. I got I got to tell you, man. Chemist is such a a. It's a privilege working with the guy, and b. They are so consistent. Like if you go to the, like that is a major business, right? They got they got a lot of money. You go to their you go to their actual head office. Honestly, it feels like it's from the eighties. But you know what? I love that. Like it is the brand. It's impressive. Spending it, on like this. Fancy thing. They, yeah. they're, a, they're a discount chemist. They behave like a discount business, and everything is about just get the most out of what you have. Good for them. I mean, they they've done amazingly well. 
at the conference he said that you five billion dollars here in sales. I mean that's that's phenomenal. That's mate, they are, they are one of the biggest media businesses in Australia. Media. Who do you think pays? Mate, who do you think's paying for the TV ads? The brands. <laughs> the catalogs. Each box costs that brand money. They are a massive media business. They they know how to extract value out of every single touch point that they have. That's Retail amazing. is just one part of an overarching story. They are they're a wonderfully intelligent business. I love it. Ah, yeah. awesome. awesome. And that, and I think that's one of the biggest problems in this country. We're so focused on what's happening overseas. We yes. don't see the exceptional businesses in our own backyard. That's correct. Everyone's focusing on what's going on in the States, especially the States. And we've got so much talent locally, but it's always, always forgotten because we're working off models that work overseas. Correct. Absolutely right. Absolutely awesome. Right. Awesome. All right. Um, wow, we've been going for 24 minutes. Unbelievable. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, let's go down the path of what are some tips or points you can give to people, young people trying to build a business, trying to build a startup, limited resources, well, what's your, what's your advice to them? Um, so number one, uh, minimal viable product is the most biggest bullshit statement you'll ever hear. Think about the V is value, not viable. Just because something's viable doesn't mean someone's going to value it. So don't look at viability as your the reason to launch. Look at value as the reason to launch. Understand what drives value for a customer and ensure that's in it. The second thing I would say is... Um, if you're not a developer, don't go into digital because people will rip you off in this category if you don't know what's going on. That's very true. Um, so I, I think you really need to understand tech to understand or you need to understand coding to be able to make it happen in this category. And the second thing I would say is don't worry too much about what your product is. Worry that you're always learning and fine-tuning because if you're not, if you're not learning about your product and fine-tuning your product, you will be dead in a matter of time. I think people worry about making it perfect, getting all the research. Don't worry about that. Get it out and learn. And, and, and hear feedback, right? Hmm? And hear feedback. Well, that's what I mean by yeah. learning is, yeah, ask for that feedback, get that feedback. So exactly. we do it through CRO. We, we, I mean, I'll give you an example. As a, as a business, we have built a system where we go out each month and ask clients uh, four metrics on how we're doing. I love that. Each month, our staff, they feed back on us on how, how they're feeling in the business. All of those things then go into what's known as an issues register, which we then pick up each month and we look at how do we optimize the business for our staff to feel as if they're winning, they're succeeding. I don't want, ha I don't want my staff to come to work feeling happy. I want my staff to come to work feeling like they're succeeding. You yeah. want, if you want to be happy, go on a holiday. No one comes to work wanting to be happy. They come to work wanting to succeed because they feel fulfilled, right? So happiness is what you do with your mates and on holiday yeah. or late at night in front of the internet. You get where I'm going. Uh, where, so that's on that side. And the other side is around understanding our clients and how we're performing for them. And all that comes back in to drive the decisions that we make. So we're very numbers driven. We ask for feedback. We don't – and this is the big thing is – Everyone thinks data comes out of Google. It doesn't. Data comes out of anywhere where an insight can be formed, whether it's a conversation, whether it's a phone call, whether it's analytics. Look for data and don't think that data means analytics. Data means anywhere that an insight can be driven. Well, 
There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Um, very insightful chat. Absolutely loved it. Um, before I let you go, where can, can you bleep all my swear words, please? No, I, I don't mind you swearing, buddy, because I, I swear myself. No. Um, where can we find you online? Uh, so, you know, you've got our website, newrepublic.com. Uh, I, I get all the hello emails, so if you want to ping me, just there's a contact thing at the bottom. I'll see that email, so ping it. Um, my LinkedIn, join my LinkedIn, give me your point of views. Always, I write heaps of articles around the CRO stuff. Um, where else can you find me on the internet? Uh, on, on Facebook, definitely, uh, but please don't go there. Um, and that's, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Nemi is seeing you from New Republic. Thank you very, very much for joining me on the Business Wilderness. Thanks, Armin. You are listening to The Business Wilderness, the voice of entrepreneurs.